So then, moving on in these principles that we were talking about regarding kufr and shirk, and regarding when a person becomes a kafir, we move on to principle number three. And that is, أَنَّ مَنْ ثَبَتَ إِسْلَامُهُ بِيَقِينَ لَا يُحْكَمْ بِكُفْرِهِ إِلَّا بِيَقِينَ That whomsoever their Islam, the fact that they are a Muslim, has been established with certainty, then you cannot rule upon that person to now be a kafir unless it is upon certainty. Meaning you can't just use some doubts, but he did this and he did that and we heard this and we heard that. It can't just be upon doubts. <coughs> Him being a Muslim was established upon certainty. So now, to declare him a kafir, you need absolute certainty. Can't just be upon some doubts here and there. And that is a general principle in Islam anyway. It is a general principle in Islam. Al-yaqeen la yazulu bishak. Certainty cannot be removed with doubt. We did that in the previous study, when it came to the issue of wudu. If you made wudu and you prayed maghrib for example, you know for definite before the maghrib prayer you made wudu and you prayed. Now the time for isha is coming and then you suddenly start thinking, did my wudu break after maghrib or not? At maghrib time you know you definitely had wudu, afterwards you're doubtful whether it broke or not. So do you still have wudu or not then? You have it. Because with certainty you made wudu at maghrib time. After that, it's not certainty you broke it, it's only doubt. Doubt cannot overcome the certainty that you've got wudu. So that's a principle generally. Certainty cannot be overcome and overruled by something which is only a doubt. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, وَلَيْسَ لِأَحَدٍ أَنْ يُكَفِّرَ أَحَدًا مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَإِنْ أَخْطَأَ وَغَلَطْ حَتَّى تُقَامَ عَلَيْهِ الْحُجَّةِ وَتُبَيَّنْ لَهُ الْمَحَجَّةِ Ibn Taymiyyah said, It is not allowed for anyone to declare anybody else from the Muslims to be a kafir, even if that person has made mistakes and done wrongs. It is not allowed for anybody to declare him a kafir until evidence is established upon him and the proofs are clarified to him. Once that evidence is established and proofs are brought forth and his doubts are removed, then you're going to get onto other levels of the affair. 
as for from the very beginning declaring somebody a kafir because of some wrongs they've done, then no, the evidence must be established and the proofs must be brought forth. وَمَنْ ثَبَتَ إِسْلَامُهُ بِيَقِينَ Ibn Taymiyyah goes on to say, And whomsoever his Islam is established upon certainty, with certainty, لَمْ يَزَلْ ذَلِكَ عَنْهُ Then it cannot be removed from him with doubts. You cannot remove the Islam of a person upon some doubt. بَلْ لَا يَزُولُ إِلَّا بَعْدِ قَامَةِ الْحُجَّةِ وَإِزَالَةِ الشُبْهَةِ Rather, it cannot be taken from him. You cannot say that he is a kafir until evidence is established and the doubts are removed. Evidence is established upon that individual. His doubts are removed from him and he persists. Then you may move on to other levels that may occur. But initially, then the third principle now is, you cannot just declare somebody a kafir with doubts. There needs to be certainty, evidences, proof, establishment of the evidence, removal of the doubts, etc. Principle number four. في قلب المسلم إيمان وكفر this is also a principle in Islam that within the heart of a believer, within the heart, the single heart of a single believer, there may be within it iman and kufr at the same time. Which type of kufr? The minor one. Can't be major, obviously. Iman and minor types of kufr may occur in his heart at the same time. Obedience to Allah and disobedience can be occurring at the same time. A believer is being obedient, he does prayer, etc. But at the same time he does sins. Possible or not? Absolutely. So obedience and disobedience could occur in the same heart of a person. Iman and that minor kufr could occur in the same heart of a person. Those things can occur simultaneously or within the heart of an individual, a single individual. This type of person, what is the term given to him? Is he a mu'min? A person who has iman? But he has minor kufr too, has obedience, has disobedience. Are you going to say he is a mu'min? Is that the term you give him? Fasiq. Fasiq meaning like, like a sinner basically. What you would say is then, he is a mu'min fasiq. He's a believer, mu'min, but a sinner. Mu'minun fasiqun Meaning he is a mu'min With a deficiency in his Iman He's a mu'min He's a believer But he has a deficiency in his iman Hence he falls into the minor kufr And falls into the sins And that is something which is clear And can occur 
وَبَعْضُ الْإِيمَانِ قَدْ يَكُونُ شَرْطًا فِي بَعْضِهِ الْآخَرِ وَقَدْ يَكُونُ بَعْضُهُ الْمَتْرُوكِ لَيْسَ شَرْطًا فِي وُجُودِ الْآخَرِ وَلَا قَبُولُهُ وَحِينَ إِذِنْ قَدْ يَجْتَمِعُ فِي الْإِنسَانِ إِيمَانٌ وَنِفَاقٌ Basically therefore, there is no contradiction in the affair. A person may be obedient, but he may be doing some other sins too. He may be upon iman, upon iman, but he's involving himself in some haram and sins at the same time. That occurs, that may be possible, and Muslims fall into that. So that type of person is a mu'min, he's not a kafir, he's not committed major shirk, he's a mu'min, he's a Muslim, but he's a fasiq. That is clear, and that is very possible. People of deviation out there seem to have difficulty in understanding why that can happen. They seem to have difficulty in understanding how can a person be a mu'min and at the same time be committing minor kufr or be committing sins and be a fasiq. How can you be mu'min and fasiq at the same time? Absolutely you can. A Muslim doesn't sin. Of course the Muslims they sin. And in fact Allah even told us in that hadith, كُلُّكُمْ تُخْتِئُونَ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ All of you sin day and night. And the Prophet said, كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمْ خَطَّاءُ All of the sons of Adam make errors. So no doubt a believer can be a sinner. He is being obedient and at the same time he is involving in some sins too. That is clear. That person doesn't become a kafir according to the people of innovation and deviance. They say no, if he's committing all of these sins, regardless of his iman and prayer and tawheed, he's a kafir then. And that's clearly false. He is a believer, he is a mu'min, he prays, he's upon tawheed, but he's committing sins. So all we say is, he is a believer, but he is low on his iman. Simple. وَقَدْ يَجْتَمِعُ فِيهِ بَعْضْ شُعْبِ الْإِيمَانِ وَشُعْبَ مِنْ شُعْبِ الْكُفْرِ كَمَا جَاءَ فِي أَحَدِيثِ كَثِيرًا There could be an instance where he has aspects of iman in his heart, and he has some aspects of kufr in his heart. Like in the example about the characteristics of the munafiq. Lying, is it a characteristic of the hypocrites or not? Absolutely. If a Muslim lies, he therefore now has in him a characteristic of the hypocrites. But that doesn't make him a kafir. So he is a believer, but he is a fasiq for having that characteristic in him. He is deficient in his iman for having that characteristic in him. So that's clear where a person may have iman, but he has some aspects that are not good aspects. They are sins, they are minor kufr, they are uh, characteristics of hypocrites. But it doesn't make him kafir out of Islam. Somebody lies, you're going to say he's a kafir now? So that person is a believer still, he's a Muslim still, but he has the deficiency in his iman, and he has these characteristics in him that he shouldn't have. Ibn al-Qayyim then. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala says, Ibn al-Qayyim, the great scholar, the student of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says, Ha huna aslun akhar. So here we have this other principle. Wa huwa anna ar-rajul 
قد يجتمع فيه كفر وإيمان that a person he can have combined within him the minor kufr and iman and shirk meaning the minor shirk and tawheed and taqwa and fujur fujur meaning a lack of taqwa disobedience and sinning he can have some taqwa in him but he may still have some level of fujur and fisk and sinning in him too وَنِفَاقْ iman, He may have characteristics of nifaq, the one who lies and the one who breaks his promises, etc. But at the same time, he has iman. This is a principle to be understood. That a Muslim can have iman, but at the same time, he may have some of those negative characteristics too, at the same time. وَهَذَا مِنْ أَعْظَمِ أُسُولِ أَهْلِ السُنَّةِ وَخَالَفَهُمْ فِيهِ غَيْرُهُمْ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبِدَعِ this is from the greatest of the principles of Ahlul Sunnah. And the people of innovation, they opposed this principle. Like the Khawarij, like the Mu'tazila, like the Qadariya. وَمَسْأَلَتْ خُرُوجْ أَهْلِ الْكَبَائِرْ مِنَ النَّارِ وَتَخْلِيدُهُمْ فِيهَا مَبْنِيَّ عَلَى هَذَا الْأَصْلِ وَقَدْ دَلَّ عَلِهِ الْقُرْآنِ وَالسُنَّةِ وَالْفِطْرَةِ وَإِجْمَاعِ الصُّحَابَةِ There is one issue though. We've just said now, you could have a combination of these things within a person. Iman and characteristics of hypocrisy. Iman and some levels of minor kufr. Obedience and disobedience. They can all occur within a person. However, there is one issue. There is a hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed. Authentic hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said, لَا يَجْتَمِعُ الإيمان والكفر في قلب امرئ ولا يجتمع الصدق والكذب جميعا ولا تجتمع الخيانة والأمانة جميعا In this hadith the Prophet ﷺ said Iman and Kufr cannot come together into the heart of a person. They cannot be together. Iman and kufr cannot be together occurring in the heart of a person. Neither can truthfulness and lying ever come together. Neither can trustworthiness and betrayal ever come together. Because they are all obviously opposites. So how do we explain this now then? We've just been saying you can have those things. A believer can have iman and he can have fisq, sinning and disobedience. But the hadith here telling us iman and kufr cannot come together in the heart of a person. So the shaykh explains here, فَالْجَوَابَ عَلَى ضَوْءِ الْأَحَدِيثِ السَّابِقَةِ الَّتِي بَيَّنَا فِيهَا الرَّسُولُ صلى الله عليه وسلم اجتماع الإيمان مع خصلة من النفاق أكثر واجتماع الإيمان مع أعمال من الكفر يكون المراد بهذا الحديث لا يجتمع الإيمان المطلق الكامل في قلب المرء مع الكفر The meaning of the hadith would be according to what we've just been talking about that Iman and Kufr cannot come together meaning complete Iman can never come together with Kufr because if you've got some minor aspects of Kufr or some characteristic or hypocrisy that means your iman cannot possibly be complete and full. That's the meaning of the hadith. 
meaning complete and full iman, you're never going to get that within a person who's also got aspect of kufr or hypocrisy in him. Then it's not going to be complete iman. That's the meaning of the hadith. You cannot have complete iman and at the same time have kufr or hypocrisy, etc. You cannot have complete trustworthiness, but at the same time have some betrayal and unfaithfulness. You cannot have complete truthfulness, but at the same time have some lying. Complete truth isn't there then. So, here that's the meaning of it. We've all been saying before, that's okay. Because when we say a person has iman and has some characteristics of badness in him, then that is because his iman is actually deficient. So that's okay, there's no contradiction anywhere there. There is no contradiction in that. Then after that, we move on to principle number five. Al-Dabit Al-Khamis. The principle number five. Al-Kufru wa-Shirku qad ya'tiyani fi'l-Nusus al-Shari'iyya wa la yuradu bihima ma yukhriju min al-Millah wa yanqudu al-Islam. This is important to understand as a principle as well now. He says, the word kufr and the word shirk, they may be mentioned in ayat of the Qur'an sometimes, in a hadith from the sunnah sometimes, but their intended meaning is not the major kufr and shirk that excludes a person from Islam. So the point here in this principle, similar to what we said at the beginning, when you see the word kufr and shirk in ayat, in a hadith, don't automatically assume it's talking about the major kufr and shirk that makes a person a kafir. Because we know there is a level below which is the minor kufr and shirk. Minor kufr, minor shirk, those types of things don't exit you from the fold of Islam. You are still Muslim. But a sinner, of course, greatly. So, the principle here to understand is, when you see these words being mentioned in the Qur'an and Sunnah, kufr and shirk, don't just assume always that the meaning is the major kufr and major shirk. And that a person is out of the fold of Islam for doing it. It could mean the minor kufr, the minor shirk. So be aware, in ayat, in a hadith, you need to look and understand the meaning of the ayah. Understand the meaning of the hadith. Is it major kufr or is it minor one being talked about? There is an example in the ayah of the Quran. In Surah Al-Ma'idah. وَمَن لَمْ يَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Whomsoever does not rule by what Allah has revealed, then those ones are al-kafirun. In another part, this one for now. So those who do not rule by what Allah has revealed, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Allah says. Then they are the kafirun, the kuffar, the disbelievers. A person may assume, reading that ayah, that Allah is telling us, whoever doesn't rule by his law, his sharia, then that person is kafir, out of the fold of Islam disbeliever. However, that is not the case in this ayah. 
Ibn Abbas, one of the great companions, radiyallahu anhuma, he explained this ayah and he said, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بِالْكُفْرِ الَّذِي يَذْهَبُونَ إِلَيْهِ إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ كُفْرًا يَنْقُلُ عَنِ الْمِلَّةِ He said it is not the kufr that they go to. It is not the kufr that moves a person out of the fold of Islam. That is the explanation of a companion on this ayah. That this ayah here, the tafsir of it, which the companions learned from the Prophet ﷺ, he says the tafsir of this ayah is not the kufr that takes a person out of the fold of Islam. Yes, it is a form of kufr, the one who rules by other than the laws of Allah. But it is not a kufr in terms of out of the fold of Islam. You don't say this person has now disbelieved in Allah and the angels and the books and the pillars of Iman is a kafir. It's not like that. And that is because the scholars have explained with this particular issue especially, because this is the one the takfiris always use, the khawarij and their likes always use. They say, look, all the rulers are kuffar because they all rule by other than what Allah has revealed. In all of their countries, there are things which are haram in the Sharia. So all of them are ruling by other than what Allah has revealed. So all of them are kuffar. That's what they say to you. First, we can tell them, you have misunderstood the meaning of kuffar, kafirun, in this ayah to begin with. It doesn't mean major kuffar. How can I prove that to you? Because one of the companions said it. Ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, he said that this ayah doesn't mean major kuffar, it means minor kuffar. On top of that, the scholars have said, when can it become major kufr? It's all about the issue of istihlal. When a ruler, for example, we're talking about now, when a ruler rules with a law which is not in the sharia, in his country he passes a law which is not in accordance to the Quran and sunnah. That person now has committed a form of Kufr. He has ruled by other than what Allah has revealed. He has opposed that, he's put some other law down in opposition to the Quran and Sunnah. Is he a kafir out of Islam though? No, not necessarily. Because all he's done now is a minor form of kufr. Does it mean when he passes that law that he believes that law is better than what's in the Quran and Sunnah? That's why he passed it. Does it mean that? It could, but does it definitely mean that? We don't know. Doesn't definitely mean that. Most of the time it won't mean that. Most of the time, whatever laws are passed in the Muslim countries, it's because of the way politics are in the world now, and the economics and the relationships with the other countries, and trade and business and all types of things. Most of the time, it's those politic reasons. Not because the ruler believes this law, it opposes the Quran and the Sunnah, this is better, let's do it, forget the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That's rare. That's not really why it happens. Most of the time it's politics. Trade and business and economics and finances and the international laws and all those politics. They allow things to happen maybe that are not in accordance to the Qur'an and Sunnah. So they don't believe, if they don't believe, that this rule or this law that they passed is superior and better or equal even to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then they have not committed major kufr. It is just minor kufr. It is the minor type of 
uh, 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 kufr, you could say in that scenario, hypothetically speaking. If a ruler, hypothetically speaking, said, no, these laws are actually better than what's in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Forget the Qur'an and the Sunnah. This is better our law. That now you could say is going into the boundaries of major kufr. He believes his laws are better than the Sharia. That's a different issue. But when the rulers now in the different countries pass laws, is that what they believe? Do we have any way of knowing that? Do we have any way of knowing that? Are you going to be able to pick up the phone or ring the kings of the different countries, of the Muslim countries, and ask them, this law you passed in your country, is it because you believe it is superior to the Sharia, etc.? Can we do anything like that? So can we establish what's going on? Why they've done it? Can we prove that they've done it because they believe that law is equal or better than the Sharia? Or is there a reasonable argument to say it's just because of politics and things and that's it? There is, isn't there? So now all we've got is doubt. At the very best, all we've got is doubt. Maybe it was because of this reason the ruler did it. Maybe it was because of that reason the ruler did it. All we have is doubt. We've just mentioned the previous principle. You cannot make a person, a Muslim, a kafir based upon doubt. So if you see rulers ruling by other than what Allah has revealed, you cannot automatically declare them as kuffar based upon a doubt. Because we don't know for definite their reasons behind it. It could just be politics which is normally the reason. And that would not make them a kafir out of the fold of Islam then. So that is one thing to take note of. There's another example of this. In the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sibabu al-muslimi fusuq wa qitaluhu kufr. Abusing or cursing a Muslim is fisq, like sin. And fighting him, that's kufr. Abusing another Muslim, that's wrong, it's a sin. Fighting him outright, that's kufr. So now this hadith, what does it mean? Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, Sunan Al-Tirmidhi, Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, he said, وَمَعْنَ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ The meaning of this hadith, قِتَالُهُ كُفْرْ لَيْسَ بِهِ كُفْرًا مِثْلَ الْإِرْتِدَادِ Fighting a Muslim is kufr, but not kufr like apostating. Like apostating out of Islam. Not like that, he says. وَالْحُجَّ فِي ذَلِكَ and the evidence for that is what is narrated from the Prophet ﷺ. In a hadith it mentions, whoever is killed on purpose, meaning somebody murders someone, killed on purpose. Then the next of kin of that murdered person, Islamically, what right do they have upon the murderer? They can have him killed as uh, a capital punishment, as they call it here now. You can have the capital punishment. Or if they want, they can take the blood money or they can just forgive him. If killing another person was outright kufr, you are a kafir, with the option of forgiving and the option of just letting him off be an option. Then it wouldn't be an option. 
if that person is an outright kafir now for having committed this act, then we know the ruling on apostasy is death. So it wouldn't be an option that you can let him off. The fact that you still got this option means the murderer by committing murder doesn't become an outright kafir. He doesn't. You still have the option of forgiving him. There's an even better evidence or an even stronger evidence you could say or clearer evidence maybe in the Qur'an. What's the evidence in the Qur'an? In the Qur'an, there is an ayah that talks about this issue of qisas, about eye for an eye, etc. And it refers to the murderer and the next of kin of the deceased of the murdered as brothers. How can the murderer still be the brother of this man? He just killed his relative. He is still the brother of him because that act was not an act of major kufr. If it was an act of major kufr, you could not possibly say the murderer is still the brother of this man. He has now committed kufr. That's it, gone. But he is referred to as his brother still, meaning it is not major kufr having exited him from the fold of Islam. So these are all points to take good note of. The point there was that when you see these types of hadith talking about kufr and shirk or ayat talking about kufr and shirk, don't automatically assume it means major kufr and shirk out of Islam. You need to examine and understand what it means and work out what that hadith and ayah means. So that is important to understand too. Principle number six. There is a difference between saying that such and such an act is an act of kufr and between saying somebody specifically is a kafir. Certain actions are actions of kufr. You can generally say whoever does X, Y, and Z, he is a kafir. There are certain actions that are overall actions of kufr. So you can make statements like, whoever does X, Y, and Z actions, then they have committed kufr. That's a general statement. There's a difference between that and then somebody coming along and doing exactly X, Y, and Z, and then you saying, you are therefore a kafir now. There's a difference between saying somebody who does those actions on the whole, the ruling is that he is a kafir. On the whole, the rule of thumb, kafir. But when somebody specific now comes along and does it, and you want to give a ruling on a specific person, then it's a different issue. You can't just say, okay, well, whoever does X, Y, and Z, the ruling, the rule of thumb on that is kafir. You've done it, therefore you are a kafir. It doesn't work as simple as that. There is a difference between those two issues. He's going to explain a bit here. فَالْأَوَّلْ لَا يُشْتَرَطْ فِيهِ سِوَى ثُبُوتِ أَنَّ النَّوْعِ الْمَذْكُورِ كُفْرِ The rule of thumb type of action that is considered as kufr, for that you just need general evidences. General evidences in the Qur'an and the Sunnah saying whoever does X, Y, and Z, it is kufr. So we know that a particular action is an action of kufr. That's just general evidences 
telling you X, Y, and Z are actions of kufr. So those actions you know are actions of kufr. You can say generally anybody who does those actions has fallen into kufr. That's general. As for somebody specific, somebody specific, somebody specific comes along, an individual comes along and does those actions, which on the whole as a rule of thumb are actions of kufr that would make you a kafir. He comes and does them. Our person comes and does them. So now what are we going to say to our person? We know that those actions are actions of kufr and they make you a kafir. That's in the Quran and the Sunnah about those actions. Our person now who we know, person has come and done those actions. Can we therefore say, therefore you are now a kafir? Can we say that or not? Why not? Those actions are proven in the sunnah to be actions of kufr. And the person who does them is a kafir. He's come along and done them. So why can't we just automatically, very simple maths, those actions are actions of kufr, whoever does them is a kafir, he's come and done them, equals, therefore he is a kafir. Why can't we do that? Because we mentioned it just before, the other principle... When it comes to individuals, one thing you have to do first, establishment of the evidence. They give an example. You've probably heard of these examples before. You walk into a, well, bowing down, prostrating, doing sujood to an idol. Act of kufr or not? Person who does it, kafir or not? Kafir. That is an action of kufr, person who does it is kafir. Famous example, they use this one. Scholars mention it. So bowing down, doing sujood to an idol is an act of kufr in the Quran Sunnah, clearly act of kufr. Somebody does it, mushrik kafir. That's the rule of thumb. You walk into a room one day, you walk into a room one day, a prayer, like you have these prayer rooms in places. You walk into that prayer room and you see a Muslim praying. Or you see him doing sujood. And you see him doing sujood, and he's got an idol in front of him. In front of his head, he's got an idol there, and he's doing sujood to it. He is doing the overall act of kufr, which makes a person kafir. He's doing it, doing sujood to an idol in front of him. You go in and you see him right there, sujood with an idol at the front of his head. Can you say he's a kafir now? Sujood to an idol, you've seen him with the eyes. Kafir or not? Depends on the situation. He's doing sujood to an idol. You're going to say depends? How? The example they give, you can't just say he's a kafir. You can't. You might say how? You've seen him there. You can, you're looking at him right now. You're looking at him right now. He's doing sujood to an idol in front of your eyes. How can you not say straight away kafir? Because afterwards, when he finishes, when he finishes his prayer, he was praying, suddenly you see him getting up trying to find his walking stick because he's blind and he had no idea there was an idol in front of him when he was praying. So was he a kafir then? Nothing at all. Muslim. You see where you have to establish the proof. If you said to him, why on earth 
Are you prostrating to an idol? He would say to you, what are you talking about? Where? Who? Oh, I see. That's what he would say to you. So now, because you didn't establish the proof, if you were to just declare him a kafir, you would have been completely wrong. Even though you could see him doing the act, which is the act of kufr, prostrating to an idol. Yet, when you established the proof, you realized he is exempt. Nothing happened. He didn't do anything. Blind, he didn't even know he was there. Another example they give, a lesser example, but the same type of rule. We did just now in the prayer book. One of the arkan of the prayer, one of the pillars of the prayer, right at the beginning is that you must be standing. In the fard prayer, it is a rukan to be standing. So now you come in to the jama'ah prayer. Everybody standing. And you see one person sitting down on the floor praying jama'ah prayer. In the jama'ah. Fard. You know this fard. You know he's praying fard as well. He's sitting down and praying. Afterwards you say to him, your prayer is invalid. Your prayer is invalid. You were sitting and praying. The rule for the fard prayer, it is rukan to stand and pray. Your prayer is invalid. Pray again. Correct or not? His action on the whole... To sit and pray a fard prayer is wrong. Makes your prayer invalid. The action overall, invalid, wrong, no problem. Now you've seen someone specific doing it, you can't just equals it and say, okay, your prayer is invalid. Because again, you need to establish the evidence, the circumstance. You speak to him afterwards, you say, the pillar of the prayer is to stand. Why weren't you standing and praying? He says, look at my ankle. You look at his ankle, he's got a huge cast on it. So now, he was exempt. When you see the evidence, he was exempt. So his prayer is okay and valid. That's the point about establishing evidence. You must establish the evidence and the proof before you can make a ruling on a specific individual. That example of the blind one is a very good example the scholars give. You see someone prostrating to an idol, you think that's it. What, what evidence? Prostrating to idol kafir. Then afterwards you realize he's blind, he just came in to pray, he had no idea. Some Hindu or somebody had been in that room before with an idol there. Had no idea, he was just praying, blind. Didn't know there was an idol right in front of him. So, establishment of the proof is needed. Therefore, the principle here is that these are two different things. One thing is having overall actions that are actions of kufr, and people who do them are kufar. Overall actions, like bowing down to a, an idol. Action of kufr, somebody does it, kafir. That is the overall rule of thumb. Somebody specific, you see them doing it now, you cannot just equals that onto him and say, okay, therefore you are now a kafir because you fall into that general thing. You can't. You might think, how then, why not? You just sat there and told us, the general rule is this action is kufr, and whoever does it is a kafir. He's doing it. But still, you can't just make a straight equal sign because what you need for a specific person to apply him into that rule is establishment of the proof and the evidence and removal of doubts. That's the other thing. Removal of doubts, what does that mean? Somebody, a Muslim may come along and he may do a certain action which is one of these overall actions that is an action of Kufar and the person doing it is a kafir. Somebody's doing it. 
When you discuss with this person, you realize that it's because of his upbringing and what he's been taught, he had no idea that this action of his falls into those categories of kufr. So now by explaining to him, he starts bringing some uh, evidences that his people have taught him. But our people said, these dead people can hear you in the grave and they can do this and they can do that. And he's got all these evidences. You explain to him, you give him evidences, you tell him the dead cannot hear you, they cannot answer your dua, they cannot do shafa'a, you give him proofs in the Qur'an. Meaning, you clarify all of his doubts. And then he understands, I see. So now, once you have clarified his doubts and he leaves that, done. You're not going to establish that ruling on him. It could just be that he was confused and he had doubts and people have told him things and he's doing those things because of that. So that's why you can't just equals and say, that's it, I saw him doing this. Kafir, because that is the overall ruling. Overall ruling is one thing. Applying it to a specific individual is another. You cannot just equals it. You must establish the evidence. Remove the doubts from the person. Clarify to him. He may be doing that because of some doubts he's got. People have confused him, telling him it's okay. So you must establish the evidence and remove those doubts. That is the principle here. These are all important. The Khawaris, the Takfiris, the Hizb tahrir HT, Muhajirun, those people. You tell them these things, they haven't got a clue. They say, what are you talking about? A person does it, equals kufr. This is an action of kufr, whoever does it, kafir. And that's wrong. It doesn't work like that. In that case, that blind person is a kafir according to them. That person who prayed sitting down, don't bother checking if he's got a problem with uncle, his prayer is invalid. That's according to them. That's wrong. You need to establish the evidence and you need to understand what's going on. Mm. An example that's given here is, somebody who believes, who says that the Qur'an is created. That is a statement of kufr. The Qur'an is not created, it is the speech of Allah. So somebody who says the Qur'an is created, that is an action, action of kufr. So now somebody comes along and he says the Qur'an is created. Equals kafir? No. Because you need to establish the evidence, talk to him. He may just be confused and people have told him things about the Qur'an, etc. You clarify the correct aqidah, everything he understands, and he drops that statement, the Qur'an is created. So it's one thing having an overall rule, but then it requires more detail and evidence to apply it to specific individuals. That's a very key point to understand here. Principle number seven, we can just about mention too. قِيَامُ الْحُجَّةِ لَا بُدَّ مِنْهُ عِنْدَ إِرَادَةِ تَكْفِيرِ الْمُعِيَّنِ This is really a part B to what we just said. If now somebody engages in something that appears to be kufr and maybe the scholars are looking into his affair and there's a possibility now that the ruling of kufr may be placed upon him. For that to occur, you must then do what? Just what we've been talking about now. Establish the evidence. You must establish the evidence. And there are two points. Fubut, shurut, wantifa, mawani'ah. That there are certain things. How do you establish this evidence? You may say, okay, how do we do this then? How is the establishment of the evidence done? Number one, 
that this person has knowledge of this affair. Because most people may be doing that act of kufr upon complete ignorance. So you give them knowledge. Two, تحقق القصد المنافي لعدمه That the person actually had intent to do that action. The blind person, did he have intent to bow to the idol? So two things you need to establish. Does this person have knowledge of what he's doing? Maybe he just doesn't have knowledge. He doesn't know what's going on. He thinks it's allowed. So you give him knowledge and explain to him it's not allowed. Second thing you need to work out is, is this person doing it on purpose with intent? It could be he's not, like the blind person. So those two things you need to work out first when establishing the evidence. Also you need to work out, are there mawani'a? Things that prevent you from declaring takfir upon him. There may be certain factors surrounding this individual which excuse him from what he had done. Obvious ones like we just mentioned, ignorance. He just didn't know that this is kufr. Didn't know that these actions are haram in Islam. Ignorance would be an excuse. You wouldn't declare him kafir. Then you would give him the knowledge and excuse him, that's it. Or a ta'wil, misinterpretation, which occurs with the people of innovation. They say you can't go to the grave because there's this ayah, that ayah, the dead hear you, and misinterpretation of those evidences. So they get confused and misinterpret and they think it's okay. So in that case, again, you wouldn't declare kufr upon the person just instantly. They're not doing it on purpose or anything. It's misinterpretation in their mind about things. Thirdly, mistake. A person mistakenly did something. Accidentally didn't realize what he was doing. He did something which is an action of kufr. Again, it's a mistake. Then no intent, no kufr upon him. Fourthly, what could be another excuse? Forced into doing it. So now again, you walk into a room, you just open the door. And you see your Muslim mate and he's prostrating to an idol. He's not blind. You know he's not blind. And he's there, you open the door and you see him prostrating to an idol. So then what? Now what? You know he's not blind or nothing. Idol sat there in front of him, prostrating to it. You just open the door to go in and there he is prostrating to the idol. Kafir or not this time? Yeah? Still, you need to establish the evidence. Because then you open the door more and you see a guy with a gun behind his head. <laughs> there you go. So now he was compelled. He was forced. So if somebody is compelled and forced, then that's not upon you either. That reminds me now, this week, you know these things we talk about them. About kufar and shirk and we, we do this. But when you see it in real life, it is something different. This week... I'll give you an example. This week, uh, I, I, I bought a car. I swapped, I bought a car from a Hindu. When we were finalizing everything, he said, okay, don't worry, I'll just clean out the car with all my things. Let me just clean everything out, then you can take it. He said, let me just clean this, clean this, get the papers, and let me get my Lord out of the car. He had one of those eight arm ones stuck on the dashboard. On the dashboard with glue stuck everywhere. He goes, it's there. He said, let me just clean up the car. Let me just take my Lord out. That's how he said it. That was his word. He said, let me take my Lord out. So he's going to take his Lord out. He's going to pull his Lord to get the glue off. And then he's going to take him out. He said, let me take my Lord out. 
This is the kufr and the shirk. That's the reality of kufr and shirk. So anyway, we'll have to conclude there for the prayer then. We'll carry on from condition number seven from next week, inshallah ta'ala. Next week prayer is going to be 7.40. Uh, no, next week clock change or what? So what time is next week? Seven o'clock? So after Isha next week then. Next week after the Isha prayer, inshallah.